Well, we're back. Third episode of No Ride Around. Uh, it's been fun so far, Harley, just kind of investigating. I'm not going to say randomness because I felt like these first two episodes, we've kind of put some stuff together that has had some merit and tract. And as you know, we talk about our training programs and then also what we want to accomplish out of speaking with the masses. But today I want to dial us in a little bit. And we talked about having a focus and the focus tonight of our podcast is simply this idea of having lifestyle businesses and what the what that means, what those mean, what's the definition of a lifestyle business, and through that as owners of such companies, what does that mean for our lives and for our impact of the communities around us? Sure. You know, I've got um, a lot of friends who have this, uh, <laughs> this idea that now that I own a business that my lifestyle is suddenly easier or I like my status in the world has changed. Um, and I think anybody who started a business can just tell you that's, that's just not it. <laughs> <laughs> so people who don't start companies or start businesses, big, small, or otherwise, they think everyone who starts a company is an entrepreneur. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I struggle with this definition of the term entrepreneur. And many people outside looking in would see both of us and label us that way. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you right now, I'll look in the mirror. I am absolutely not an entrepreneur. And I think I brought that up in our first podcast, but I'm going to stress it again. I don't think that I'm really awesome at business. I think I'm awesome at what my business is about. And I've learned business through that. I would agree with that a hundred percent. Um, you know, when, when you get into this lifestyle business ownership, uh, I, I think, I think the reality is, is that you want to do a thing badly enough that you'll figure out how to make it work as a business. Like anybody who's ever cohabitated with me will tell you that bill paying is not a strong suit of mine. If it can't be auto debit, it probably will get a late fee. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, and that's part of owning a business. Is it the fun part? Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tend to agree, you know, it, it's, I'm good at, at bikes and I have, I feel like I have a good understanding of the market, the trends, what people want, what, what are products that are going to appeal to people, how to run a good service department, how to make customers feel like more than customers. Um, but at the end of the day, despite existing in a bandwidth that people generically refer to as entrepreneurship, I don't see myself that way either. So I, I, I would tend to support and agree with, with that perspective. Awesome. So everybody who's on this bus right now, you have two drivers with their eyes closed. <laughs> so I hope you learn all kinds of life skills here. We got a ton to share with you. Um, <laughs> no, that's a good, we needed to make that distinction the first part of tonight, because without that, I think no matter what we say, again, if you're outside looking in, that's a business owner saying that, it almost carries a little bit of cost. That's one thing we also need to do too. We have to give ourselves credit. We have functioning businesses yeah. with a marketplace that <laughs> likes us. Yep. So, you know, we could have a little bit of cost, but just full transparency, hey, that's not what makes us great at what we do. So uh, we're using this term lifestyle business. And before we go deeper, I want to define that the way we've talked about it. You own a bike shop, 
because you loved bikes. And now that you own a bike shop that sells bike related things, you still love bikes. Yes, very much. <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny. I was talking to a guy came in today and we were talking and one of the first, and this is going back, you know, 10 or more years ago when the, the, the thought of, you know, the dream of owning a bike shop was just that. And, uh, I read something or watched a video on something and, and the, the theme of the, the video was don't open a bakery cause you like to bake. Right. Which I kind of disagree with, right? Like don't, everybody's like, Oh, you know, don't open a bike shop if you like to do bike stuff. Cause you're not going to get to do bike stuff. You're going to run a business. Well, if the passion runs deep enough, I think you're going to make it, you know, make the bike part be part of it. Right. Yeah. You're saying this. It's funny. Cause I, I have like a point of contention with what you just said. Um, I love her to death. Still pick her out of all of them. But when I first opened E3's own location, when I got my first gym, there was a secondary unit attached to it. It was really weird. I basically, when I opened my first gym, it was a genesis of being a personal trainer, small group trainer, and then renting space from other people and then kind of monopolizing their space. And the owner of the space I rented from owned this other gym and said, hey, do you want to buy it from me? And that's how I got my gym. Well, there was already a lease in place, so I was taking over this lease. Well, the lease was goofy, and it was attached to two units, Unit 201 and Unit 202. Unit 202 was filled with office space. It was small. It's only It was like 980 square feet or something, but it was broken into a couple of offices, and Unit 201 was the gym. So when I took the lease, I got both of these spots. It was just the way it was, and I was okay, sure, I have a gym, I'll take, I, I got offices too now. So my wife is an unbelievable dancer. So professional tap dancer, she danced for the Broncos, she danced for the Nuggets, like legit dancer, unbelievable, like the polar opposite of me in the world of dance, okay? So we said, hey, let's make this space, we're already paying for it, let's make it into a dance studio. We can do this. And so we ended up demoing the space and turning it into a dance studio. And because she's awesome at dance and she loves dance, has a bunch of friends in dance, we made a dance studio. And that's my point of contention because as much as she's great at dance, all of the things that required a business to function swallowed for her the thrill that was dance. She still loved the hour that she taught of tap twice a week. She loved the hour of hip hop that she took from this guy that was an awesome teacher. But managing the different dance instructors and the schedule and the, you know, payments with the clients and all this stuff. It just, it swallowed it to the point where it just became a stress ball that didn't feed her passion. So there's a level of, and again, this is going to sound bad on her. Well, it's not the case. There's a level of passion related grit that a bike guy who's been in a 50 mile race and a hundred mile race and who's been in those rides when you just want to go home, but you can't cause you're in the middle of a trail. There's a level of business grit also that you have that maybe you don't realize is so powerful in you making this a real business. Uh, sure. I, I can see that for sure. You know, um, you know, just with, just with the, the stuff that was on my plate today, just today alone was one of those days where you take a step back and, and you think, this isn't, this isn't the fun bike stuff. 
<laughs> but if I get done with this, then the fun bike stuff can happen. Totally. Here's a, I got one for you. It's story time tonight. Yeah. So just Teddy Ruxpin this one. Yeah. Today, I coached this morning, and then I, we'll get into this a bit, but I was out at Outdoor Retailer Convention here in Denver right now, and all the brands are there. I mean, all the brands. It used to just be a ski industry show, but that's, I mean, there's guys that are selling boots and shoes and Yeti selling coolers and Clean Canteen, and I mean, every brand you can think of is there. Headlamps and food and jerky. Anyway, I had a coach this morning, and I had a short window before I had to be out at Outdoor Retailer to get my own sweat in. So last night's short window happened at 7.30 p.m. on my 18th hour of awake day, and I had to fit in the workout. Fast forward 11 hours, it's now in the morning, and I have time to fit in. So I'm, I jump onto one of the spin bikes, one of the stages bikes, and I start spinning through a Sufferfest workout, and I'm 33 minutes and 24 seconds into the workout. <laughs> and my heart rate is at 82%. I'll tell you exactly where I was, okay? And one of my employees comes over with an open laptop, and walks up to me and stands right in front of my bike. And now I have noise-canceling headphones on. We run silent disco-style noise-canceling headphones to run our cycle. And he steps between the 100-inch monitor or 100-inch screen and me. At this point, with an open computer, I have to take my headphones off. And I'm like, what's up? And he goes, hey, I just wanted to run through a handful of ideas I've been like circling around in my head. Um, and I wanted to talk you through them. <laughs> now is super-duper not the time. But I'm the business owner. And so while fitness nut in me wanted to jump off the bike and eat his jugular, uh, I kept spinning and letting him talk and smiled and letting him talk and smiled. And then after I responded to a few things, I had to say, hey, um, this is literally the only time of the day that I'm not a dancing monkey for somebody. And I don't want the symbols in my hands right now. Can you just give me the next 14 minutes? Yeah. And he actually chuckled and walked away. And he came back and he goes, hey, man, thanks for saying that so nicely. And the business owner in me said it nicely. Like the real human in me that has existed for my entire life just put his head in the sand because he, he, he wasn't allowed out. Um, and man, oh, man, it's, it takes a level of passion-related grit that allows you to run these businesses. And when we say lifestyle business, we mean these companies that allow us to still fulfill who we are and make a little bit of cheese through it, or at least make enough to finance life. Yeah, and, and uh, I think it, at least in, in in my industry, I don't think there's the ever the illusion that you're going to get rich from from being a bike shop owner. Um, and so, the question, you know, why do you do it? Why? Why? Why do you? Why are you buried in debt? Why, why are you, you know, why is that okay? Why are all the, all the moves you had to make to make a, a toy store, essentially, um, come true for yourself? Why? Um, part of it is, I, I would lie if, if I said that there wasn't at least a little ego. Like, I've worked for some guys. I've worked for some really smart guys. I've worked for some really dumb guys. Um, across multiple different industries, bike and otherwise. And so I, I'll, I'll have a little like self-realization and say, yeah, sure, there's some ego where I, I say, I could probably do it better. <laughs> um, when in reality, I'm probably making just all the same mistakes. <laughs> or new <laughs> well, mistakes. Or new that, mistakes. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a part of that. But then 
Um, I don't think the conventional way was ever a way I tried to, I tried to do the conventional way, just like you said, you know, you were going to, you were going to Gordon Greco it up. Yeah, man, I was going to grease that hair up and just Uh, swing the stocks. You know, and, and like, I I think many, many bike guys before me, many bike guys at the same time as me and just as many right now are, are pursuing engineering degrees so they can go design bike parts. But then you go talk to somebody who, who does that and you realize how, how small of a, a, a population that actually is. So, I mean, I, I did try the conventional way, um, you know, go to school and, and get that four year degree and then, you know, go try to, who knows what bike part you need to design, but you're going to be the guy who designs the one. Um, and then you realize that's just not for you. So then you go this less conventional route with guaranteed less money and guaranteed less financial stability. Why? Well, here you go. How many guys have walked into your shop flush with cash? I'm talking parked their incredibly nice vehicle on the curb of your shop, walked in, dialed out apparel, maybe the suit from the day's work. They have 13 minutes before they have to pick their kid up from the private school that's just down the street there in Platte Park and swings in, looks at the new stuff. Oh, you just got that new Yeti SB130. I want to see that thing. And you have, because your stuff's nice, you know, you've got it macked out with great wheels and the whole nine. And it's got that price tag hanging off of it. And even though they have all the means in the world, they look at that tag and they automatically are having a struggle of how they can justify that maybe to a spouse or to themselves or to the proper way to balance my 401k and investment portfolio. And it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I just can't. But they know the escape that is wound up in the spokes of those wheels, where it's going to take them, what it's going to provide them. And they're just struggling to be able to make that decision to get into that world. This is the guy that on paper blows both of us out of the water and yet desires the lifestyle associated with what we already do. Sure. And when you, re- when, when you take someone down, I ask this question all the time with people, um, especially when I'm coaching them in the gym about goal setting. I ask them what their perfect day is. I had somebody do this to me years ago. Like, what's your perfect day? Remove every responsibility. What's your perfect day? And oftentimes when you play that exercise, you realize you're a lot closer to it than you think, right? Like I don't need millions of dollars to execute my perfect day. I don't even really need thousands of dollars to execute my perfect day because you already hooked me up with a bike. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) but but if my goal is to get to a perfect day, I don't need as much as I think I need. And that's why for me, that's why. Yeah. And I think it's important to address that not to diminish the guy with the great car and the nice suit and the kid at the private school, like that person pursued their happiness in their own way. Right. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, if they're happy. And I think a lot of them are, yeah, I think so. you know, I, 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 that's fairly representative of a lot of people that come to base camp and, uh, you know, I, I'd be hard pressed to say that they don't enjoy anything that they do. There's probably some who don't love the job or, you know, whatever the case right. is. Um, and then once I get past my own personal motivations of just wanting to do something that I care about, and I think that's a big, big, big part is just wanting to do something you actually give a damn about. Right? Like I could go make more money. 
I'm even at this point in Denver, I could go make more money sorting weed with my earbuds in. Totally. Do I care about it? No, not at all. So that's the real, so that's a real big deal. I marginalize it in my business. I, I, or diminish is a better word. I diminish it in my, I get emails frequently enough that I get these emails and people will say something to the effect of how, you know, E3's changed their life. The community is the best part of their day. When they walk out of there, they feel more whole and complete than any other time of their day or their week or their life. Then I read those emails. I'm like, oh man, yeah, that's cool. That's because we do cool stuff in here. Like we champion you. That's awesome. Let's, let's kick some ass. And I just move on. I kind of almost just gloss over it real quick, except for the times when I'm away from it. And when I'm away from the gym, I realize that like oxygen doesn't fill my lungs as fully as it does when I'm in the gym with all the stress and the employee coming up with their laptop in the middle of your workout. My lungs just fill up more. Life enters me more. And I just spent a week away from it. I'd spent a miserable, horrible time on an all-inclusive resort in Mexico. It wasn't miserable. I was with my wife, so it was great. We got to decompress a little bit until I realized I need about seven minutes to decompress. And then I want to have a coffee and I want to go do some cool shit. And I wasn't allowed to, really, because it's part of this job thing. So I was away from the gym for five, six, seven days, and I couldn't wait to get back in there. Couldn't wait. It filled my lungs more. And that's huge because all over social media, every Monday, every Wednesday, and every Friday, everybody's feed is full of, you know, some meme or some picture or some comic about trudging through Monday and, oh, thank God it's Wednesday. It's almost, it's halfway over and, hey, it's Friday and like hooting and hollering. And I think, I think for anybody who is able to pursue what is essentially a passion project and, and make a living at it, I think that that Monday through Friday kind of norm of how you look at your work week, I I feel like it melts away a little bit. Oh, completely. And also if you're looking at, so even with our jobs, right? There's still work that is work. Mm -hmm. So you're still running reports on things that you're selling inventory, things that are and aren't working. You're doing purchase orders. Like you're still doing work related stuff. But I had imagined that if you really got introspective during those moments, when you're doing a purchase order for, gloves yeah you're thinking about what colors i need and how many and what sizes but part in some part of your brain you're thinking about that guy who's gonna buy it and you could probably even put a name to a face to the purchase of that glove oh sure all the time when i'm when i'm building orders and looking at stuff from i i know the person that as soon as it comes in i'm gonna take a pair of shorts and a pair of gloves and a helmet and i'm gonna lay it out and i'm gonna take a picture and be like dude this matches you perfectly yeah and <laughs> I've done it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you guys, I don't even know if Harley knows his stuff in bikes. I just buy everything he tells me. And it just works. <laughs> the, the Smith helmet was the kicker. I had the Santa Cruz tall boy and you got that damn oh, Smith that helmet with just the gravy. It. And it was like perfect match. Um, and it just so happens there's glasses that match it also. Go figure. So oh. for those of you that don't know, mountain bikers do tend to just play dress up with themselves and their bikes and the clothing they wear <laughs> while they're riding their bikes. So there's some several times I'll look at a bike and be like, wow, that bike's really cool, but how would I even match with that bike? How much new stuff do I have to buy? Yeah, yeah. like orange is always in the quiver because I'm like, I had that orange ibis. Yeah. So I have so many pairs of socks that haven't been used since the orange ibis. I need a little bit of orange back in my life just to pull them back out. Um, and oftentimes, this isn't a this isn't a hundred percent rule, but 
oftentimes there's an inverse proportion or inverse relationship to talent and matching. Well, so, okay. <laughs> it's not all the time. It's no. not all the time, but a lot of times. Listen, if you're going to play tennis, you need to wear white shoes, tan shorts, and a white polo. It will make you a better tennis player. You, if you look like you're at Wimbledon, you will play like you're at Wimbledon. Or at least you won't be embarrassed walking to and from a tennis court, which I don't know why you'd be playing tennis. If it's warm outside to play tennis, you should be riding a bike. But <laughs> unless you like to play tennis, <laughs> then you should just get into biking because it's more fun than tennis. So uh, in our industry, so here's, here's one thing that what you touched on. I look at my Monday through Friday and in the past, I've gotten stressed out by the job and you'll get like, oh man, I got this. I know this issue or that issue. And I'm not going to say people because those people listen to this podcast. So they'll start thinking, is he talking about me? It's any one of you at any point in time, depending on my level of caffeine in my bloodstream. But it can even be myself. But there's a lot of For the record, it's been me. It's I, been like, I, I know. I've yeah. seen the look in the eye. Where you're just like, dude, this is, I don't even know how to fix this. <laughs> this Mr. Potato Head is so jumbled right now that I just want, to, I want a new potato. Um, <laughs> but as I've gotten deeper into the industry, into this business and owning this one, this year marks July 2008 when I started training under the E3 umbrella the idea of this and, and building this. So, I mean, I'm deep into it now. And every single challenge on the coaching floor, every single challenge is an opportunity for me to build a bond with somebody and then them build a bond with themselves through behavior. And it, like, it literally fuels me. Like it 100% fuels me. Um, it makes me want to get up and go coach somebody right now, you know? There, there'll be moments when this happened even today. I only had one person in a session. I'm like, well, I'll work out with this person. So I put my MyZone on and we start to do the warm up. And then they asked a couple of questions that made it apparent that they were dealing with some issues, especially related to the movements we were going to do. And I was like, oh man, I, I want to get a workout in with this person. I think it'd be a lot of fun, but they need me and they need me to put my, my cape on for them. Tear off the MyZone. And I actually got more fulfillment from hand-holding and walking through every piece of this workout to give them what they could experience instead of what I needed or wanted in that moment, way more fulfilled, you know? That's a, and that's, that there's no, I don't think there's a better feeling, uh, period. I mean, we have, I could draw a hundred parallels to that, to, to a similar story in, you know, somebody who's new to the sport and wanting to learn and has been intimidated. And um, it's, it's wildly fulfilling to, to help other people. Um, within your own space and a thing that is something you built and you've nurtured and you cared about. Now you have this opportunity to kind of gift it to them and, and, and help them in that way. So I think that's, you know, again, uh, that plays all back into this larger role of owning a business because of a lifestyle you want to lead and having it be fulfilling and having it be something you, you really care about. Um, and then I also think, less about the, the customers or the, the athletes that come to the gym or the store or whatever. Um, at what point and or does it even register on your radar? So there's, there's the top layer. I'm doing this cause I want to. And, 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 and part of it is I want to try to build a better future for myself and my family. And, and I get to do it, doing something I'm passionate about for you. Does it, have another layer, another dimension where 
you want it to also enrich and be something that the people who work there, like, you know, am I making yeah, sense? You no, know, yeah. Is it something where it tips a point or in your head, you're not, yes, you're doing it for you. You'd be lying if you said you weren't, but a component of it is you're doing it for the people that, that work for you, that work there to help better their lives and create a space where, you know, neither of these industries are, are known for their stability. Uh, <laughs> and so is there a point for you where you really hope it's, it's something where the people who work for you can treat it as a long-term solution to their financial needs and goals and fulfilling from a passion perspective and, and all that. Right now is when I feel that because it's tax time, right? So we're going through closing books for 20, 18. So books are all being closed. Uh, starting to see kind of what went out, what went into people's pockets and all that. And then to realize that, yeah, man, like these people live through this business as well. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, we have a couple people that are part-time and then you got a couple people, a few people that are full-time and yeah, I don't take stock of it often. And it's probably because I don't try to be the boss often. I'm trying to be on a level playing field. I'm super field, bad at that. You know? So first off, I know actually one of my chalk talks in this week's workout, it was on Tuesday, I believe. People came in Tuesday and Wednesday, and they were just kind of lackadaisical, so I wanted to get a little fiery. The staff was? No, oh, my members. Members, and, okay. And my chalk talk was basically along the lines of like, I'm not your friend for 45 minutes. Like the 45 minutes here that I'm going to coach you guys, I'm not your friend. You don't want me to be your friend. I'm not the guy pumping my fist next to you being like, just showing up was good, man. No, like, I'm going to hurt you today. I'm not your friend. I'm the mean guy. And I do the same with my staff in the sense that I'm not their buddy, right? But I want to be the person that empowers them and enriches what's already great in them and not try to force them into a, like a role that I think that they should do. I just want to kind of champion them. It sounds soft, but it's the way I would want to be treated. And because of that, I try to put myself on a level playing field with them. And so I don't get to really relish in the fact like, man, this is their livelihood. This is really cool. But at tax time, I do. You know, I can see the big numbers. And you're like, wow, this is, you know, Fred's got a kid that he just bought a new onesie for because this gym works. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a, if I think if there was one thing that I, I feel does get lost in the translation from owner to employee or from management to employee is that like, yes, there's a, again, just like there's an ego component, you know, tied to, to wanting to start your own business. There's, you know, there's a selfishness component tied to doing it and, and wanting to create something better for yourself. But I feel like a lot of, I feel like it's often overlooked that, you know, it, it's there just as much for the benefit of, of the people that are working there. Cause you know, in my case, it (laughs) just like you couldn't coach every session, like it just doesn't go without those people. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it really does like it's something I think about frequently. Like when I, if there is a night or a time where I I'm stressing out about, you know, how the store is doing, or if it's, if it's, you know, even if it's not underperforming, is it performing good enough to continue to give this sense of stability to everybody? Um, and like this ecosystem that's like so tied to 
the lights going on and the doors getting opened every day. Um, I would almost put that ahead of, of my needs. Oh, I, I put it ahead of my needs. Like my staff gets paid before I get paid every time mm -hmm. without fail. And if that means that I don't get paid, say I do have a horrible, something that comes up because we've had things. I mean, I've gotten a bill before where it's like, Hey, you owe 17 grand. Taxes are due, you know, and I'm like, what, what was that? I, mean, I didn't have that budgeted, you know? Yeah. So, no, every time they do, but they, I think our staff feel that. If you're real, if you're really passionate about what you're doing and you, like, I love my business, not for the business part of it. I just love everything that it does. The, if my business had a soul, I'm in love with that soul. Way more than the numbers, because the numbers could be better, for sure. They could be wildly better. Uh, they should be better. If I was a better business person, they would be better. Uh, but I love the soul of my business, right? I think my staff knows that as well. I actually was just, I was challenged by my staff this week. Uh, two of them sat me down. And they, it, I was like, well, okay, hang on, guys. You don't understand how the, the totem pole works here. Okay, I'm the big eagle on the top of the totem pole right now. This doesn't feel like <laughs> You, you don't the, sit me down. Yeah, I... no, like, why, what are you, what was this? I got a flashback to like Mrs. Dolphin at Sacred Heart Elementary School. I was about to have a freak out, you know. She was a third grade teacher. Um, they said, hey, uh, can you just, can you give us more? Not money, but we want to do more for you. Like, I know your attitude is just, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Like we, like, we love this place and we want to do more for you so that you can do more also. Like, we want more can you just can you trust us like we can do this stuff can, can you just trust us and i was like i'm blown away you know blown away because i feel like every time i ask them to do a little bit more i have to incentivize them more or i have to you know if you're asking more you should give more that's how i feel yeah. and and what i realize that they must they feel that we've developed a place where they don't do it just for the check every couple of weeks they do it because they love it too well and i think i think that's a, a big part of it you know people who seek out working at smaller institutions you know like uh, on the scale that we are like you know i'm a small bike shop like we we have you know some cool stuff and we do some cool things but we're a small bike shop but i think there's a type there's the type of people who want to like have lifestyle jobs like they're Yes, the bills need to be paid, and they're not gonna, you know, go hungry for the passion of, of coaching or working at a bike shop, or you know, if their passion is sorting weed, sorting weed, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think, I think the people who tend to seek out businesses like ours also are willing to accept that there is a component where they're doing it because they care about it, yeah. and um, oftentimes. That's been a hard thing for me is figuring out how to keep people engaged because everybody's different. Some people want money. Some people want time. Some people want both. Um, some people want more responsibility. Um, but the bottom line is that the common thread amongst all those people is they're doing it because they care about it. You know, they're, they're willing to say, just like we're willing to say we're never going to have a million-dollar mansion – from owning this business, they're willing to say, well, I, maybe I won't have a new car every three years, but I get to come to work 
with people that I really enjoy being around and I can wear whatever I want. And as long as there's no customers in the room, I can say the most ridiculous things that come to mind and we can have fun all day. And, and then when those opportunities, if you put them in front of a project, they care that much more. And you don't necessarily have to tie a dollar amount to it. It's something, it's something they're just excited about. They'll do it. Yeah. I, it's funny. So in advance of tonight's chat, I knew we were going to talk about this idea of a lifestyle business. I was just, like I said, I was an outdoor retailer today and I got a job through a buddy to work for this company and they make ski wear, right? They make, it's kind of racy style ski wear. It started in ski racing and now they, they kind of make stuff for the whole mountain. Anyway, it's a few brothers that started this company together and I wanted to ask them because they're in the ski industry. So you would imagine, I mean, as I walked around this trade show, dude, almost all of them are lifestyle based businesses, right? You got Stanley, even Stanley Thermos is there. They got this big built out sprinter van, Stanley. So, you know, like the guy that runs at their promotions, dude, is out there in Moab with all the other camper vans handing out free st- whatever, right? Like you, at least I think so, you know, um, but these companies start to get really, really big. Like, I mean, Stanley's huge or mm-hmm. the company I work for is really big. I mean, they're in ski shops all over the world. So like they're big. And so I asked the owner about how they got into it and whether they got into it just because they were skiers and they're like, Hey, I'm a skier. And I feel like there's a, a void here, you know, now this company has been around for almost 30 years. So they're, I mean, they've been through it, right? Back when things were much harder, when you didn't have social media and you didn't have the ease of manufacturing the way things are now. Like new brands can start up relatively easy mm-hmm. right now. So I asked somebody like, will make anything for you, dude. T- well, <laughs> like, so it's much easier to deconstruct something that's already awesome mm-hmm. and then rebuild it with your label than it was to be the first guy that made the first pattern or yeah. mold or whatever. So. I asked this guy, I go, hey, did you get into it because you were just skiers? And you're like, hey, I need to make a ski coat because I love it. He's like, actually, my brother went to Vail to a ski race, bought a sweater from a guy that was selling them out of the back of his truck, took it back. They're from, uh, they're out of country, took it back to our hometown. And all of his buddies were like, hey, well, I, I want one of those. So he went back, bought six of them, came back, sold all six of them. Oh, I think there's a business here. So they started importing clothes and selling it. And so they started to become a distributor. And then distributed for big brands, brands that everyone would know. And then uh, the brands kind of pulled the contracts from them as they grew the business to be really profitable. Then it happened a couple of times like, well, we'll just start our own brand. So they started this company as business people. They saw an opportunity, right? Um, And it's huge. But when I look at the principles, they're great guys. I don't see someone in love with every part of their product, like what they, I see somebody in love with their business for sure. Age wise, I'm in a weird generation within my industry. There are a group of guys who are, no offense guys, you should probably be on your way out. Um, <laughs> just, you know, there, there's an older group um, and they definitely paved the way for bicycle retail to be a thing and to be a viable market. Um, I've got my own hangups about how those guys do business, but a lot of those guys, when they were starting their shops, they were starting their shops in a time where like, you know, again, it was, it it was a harder time to get a business started, but it was an easier time to, to have money. And so I had a lot of guys who just had 
some inherent wealth and we're like, well, I kind of like bikes, so I'll start a bike shop and have done well just by sheer virtue of first there, you know, there's, there's some shops here in Denver that are great shops, but a lot of their success has to do with just being there, not necessarily purely out of the passion for the sport, but I want to own a business. I kind of like bikes and I got this bank account full of money. Let me start this and see what it, ha what happens. Um, and I, I think that's, that's the equivalent of where you just guys who had a business background and were like, well, you know, I, I helped the corporate world for a little while and now I'm going to do this thing that that's kind of fun. Yeah. And those guys, that, that type of business makes me insecure about my business because I think, man, I, th I should probably be more businessy, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I do. I think it, I think I should be more businessy. <sighs> At times. Yeah, I, I, I guess I could see that. I, I just know I'm not. So. <laughs> I'm not trying to <laughs> I don't, force it. Yeah. I don't try to put the feather headdress on and pretend to be something that doesn't work for me. Um, I, I just, yeah. Um, you know, and then there's this other group of guys. Um, I think there's a, a, a few guys I can, I can really relate to. Um, my good friend Adam Williams, who owns Slow High. Um, he and I always do, you know, he, he got his shop just before about, I want to say two years before, uh, base camp became a reality. And, uh, <laughs> he calls me and we're talking. He's like, you know, this, this opportunity. And I was like, are you 40 yet? I said, no, I'm not 40 yet. I was like, yeah, you got time to make one more bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, and you beg and you borrow, you steal and you, you scrape together the cash to, to put this thing together and you really are just rolling the dice to, uh, to, to do it because it's something, you know, sometimes I think I did it just cause it was the logical progression. Right. You know, do you, I don't know if you ever have those feelings where, man, you know, I, I've been at this for, for a hot minute. I've, I've done, I've been a mechanic, I've been a manager, I've been a buyer, and I've done it all for somebody else. So my, my current exit strategies are to try to convince somebody that the skills I've developed in the bike industry are viable in some other industry, um, or I become a rep or a shop owner. So as we talk about this, I pulled up some numbers because we're talking about different, the differences between you know a company for business and a company for lifestyle, love and passion. And, I look in here and according to these stats, this is on the, for the Small Business Association here in Colorado, 97.6% of businesses in Colorado are classified as small business. Now that's a pretty huge category because mm -hmm. you, you know- you It's have, a broad definition, right? Yeah, for sure. But 90, meaning the big corporate kind of entities account for 2.4% of Colorado, which is- a Which is saying something considering how much big business is actually- Right. Here. Right, which means there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people just like us. And because we are one of these people, all these companies, when I drive by Lou's Scuba Fin Shop <laughs> or Michael's Home of Microscopes or whatever, right? Like these obscure, crazy little things. I know that it's just how it is in my life where everyone in my family 
thinks that I'm so cool because I got I own a gym business, and all of my family members, friends know that know what I do and see my posts on. You know, like our family loves it and champions it and support. And then all of my customers love it, and then their neighbors know about it. And you know, and that's the same for every one of these 97.6 percent of businesses. And so when I go by them, it just I almost smile. Right. If it's another gym business, I don't because I want to burn them to the ground and crush them all. <laughs> because they don't. There's not a gym business in the state that has an owner that cares more about the success of people in their doors than me. But so I want them all to, to perish. Um, but when I go by any other company, but but perish with love. Yeah. No. Like love, have, love and good intentions. No. Like I want them to have a second job or something. Yeah. Like yeah. bounce back. Um, but it just, it does. I, I'm kind of like I'm warmed by that. Cause I'm like, dude, yeah, like that pie shop guy. Yeah, man, he's awesome. Well, it's so funny because I I see a lot of businesses, and I like now that I'm I'm in it, and I know what it costs just to be open for eight hours. Like the cost per hour to be open for eight hours. I see a lot of businesses where I'm just like, how the fuck are they making some money? Like, <laughs> how are you paying rent on South Broadway? But at the same time, I'm just like, hell yeah. Like, right. go do it. Go sell scuba fins and pay your rent and do whatever. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm into it. You know, I'm into people just pursuing the thing that makes them happy. And I think that's awesome. Um, I do get confused by as well. You know, we have a, a business we share together a lot, the coffee shop that we mm-hmm. go to all the time. That one, I'll never be able to wrap my head around that one. It is like the most expensive looking coffee shop on the planet, right? It's gorgeous inside. All of them are. They're all yeah. like wood and this old copper and like they just, they look super cool. And I'm like, dude, how much coffee do you need to sell to pay today's rent? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, and, the math doesn't pencil. Yeah, uh, I don't get it, but it, it works. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah. And when I asked him, when I asked him, he laughed at me and, then, <laughs> and, and didn't answer me. <laughs> And so I paid for my $3.06 Americana with an extra dollar tip on top of it mm-hmm. and walked my happy ass to the table. <laughs> and then, like, like, with resolution, just sat there for an hour and a half to just take up a seat for an hour and a half for $4. Well, it was my dollar tip. Yeah. You know, there's rules <laughs> with tipping. Yeah. You tip if you're going to hang out there mm-hmm. on the coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tip if you ask for some like nonsense, like I do, like, hey, I want to splash a whole milk in there. Psst, yeah. I'm gonna tip on that. Yeah. Uh, See, I'm the schmuck that just tips across the board. No, I listen. <laughs> I I would, except for um, I don't ever get tipped. <laughs> no, like I've never had anyone come in. Hey, just I just saw on my Amex that the monthly fees went through for this month of training. Uh, here's an extra thirty bucks. Yeah. Right and. 30 bucks wouldn't even be a very good percentage tip for some of the members. So I've never got, I've never get, so I, oh, I struggle. Oh, I struggle. I'm not saying I'm a cheap ass. I do my part. Like all restaurants get 20%, okay? So you can make me sound cheap. But like if, I, if there's like, a, if, a, if, a, if a furry with an animal hat and tight jeans pours me a cup of hot water for a tea, I don't really know it's necessarily worth an extra. I just, I'm saying... I don't know if it's worth it. Always. Yeah. Well, you know. So I, it's stuck in my head now. Um, and, and I think one of the rules we came up with when we started this was no politics, no religion. But I have to say, <laughs> at the shop the other day, we came up, you said the word furry. Oh, yeah. And. Furry, little guys. 
Did you know that there is, and we don't have to go any further than you saying yes or no, you did know this or you didn't know this. Okay. I doubt but there good. is a segment of fascist furries, like they are a political group with a flag. No, I, I know nothing. <laughs> I, I, know. Won't, I won't tell you the ridiculous conversation that got us there, but that's a thing that exists and now you know it. I don't know. I don't know if I'm better off knowing that or... Well, you're better off because now you can fill somebody else's head with that nonsense. How about this? There is not a market out there that doesn't exist. Yeah. That's what I learned. I think you could say Like, you that. can sell anything. <laughs> you can find people to buy anything. It's true. Um, circling back around <laughs> to the topic at hand. Um, so, we're talking a lot about opening business because you love an activity or an industry. Is it for everybody? Do you think anybody? No, absolutely like, not. Sorry. Okay. Sorry no, it's, it's fine. Here, and here's how, so I've got, a, I've got a, a good friend of mine who, unlike me, wants the entrepreneurial side. Like he wants to be the wheel deal. He wants to be the wheel deal, entrepreneurial, go crush, business, 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 right? But he's got a cush corporate job with a fat paycheck. And he's got all these great ideas. And he actually hits green light on it. He's got... Um, He's got a mobile billboard company. He does like a like ski and snowboard tune company. Uh, he's got he's got a handful of little companies that he started that are off the ground and running. And honestly, he could probably live off of them. But if something turned down in that business, he would be struggling. And because of that, he can't leave the safety net that is that corporate check. Mm -hmm. He wants to. He talks like he's going to, and he's never going to. Uh, there has to, you have to be confident knowing that it could all blow up. And if it does, it's 100% your fault. And that's not for everybody. Like if your shop, I don't believe that there's a business out there that fails. I believe that every business that does fail, the owner hit some sort of adversity that their love and passion couldn't overcome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. Um, you know, a couple of shops that I've worked here in Denver have closed, but it was, they just decided like it was time. It was time to just put a pin in it and be, and be done. Um, and my own personal mantra this time, you know, January is the worst month for bikes. Yeah. No, it's, it's, and there's a foot of snow here. Even if it wasn't for the weather, we just came off the holidays. All the credit card bills are due. People are stressing out about tax season. They haven't gotten their refunds yet, or they did get their W-2, and they saw in black and white just how much money they didn't make or just how much of it the government got. And it's like January, just it doesn't happen. Uh, it, just, it just doesn't. And so my mentality you know, with this being my first January in a role where three other people's ability to eat is on my shoulders, um, is to just, my, my, my whole mentality is just outwork everybody else. If they're sitting around and thinking that, oh, January, we'll just get through January and we'll start selling bikes. I'm planning, I'm lining up stuff. I'm, you know, is it that day? putting money in the till? No. But I feel like as long as me and the staff are doing things to make the shop better, 
whether it's organizing, cleaning, um, sitting down and putting our heads together to come up with fun stuff to do for customers and events. I just feel like we're outworking any other business, not even bike shop, just any other business that looks at it as a mulligan month. And I think that's the mentality I have to carry forward. And I think, um, I tend, tend to think that that's any business. As long as you just don't get bogged, like it's, it would be super easy to just get bogged down and be like, oh, well, nothing's coming in, nothing I can do about it, or nobody's walking in the store, nothing I can do about it. Um, I think that's probably the adversity you're talking about. And I think there's a type of person that, you know, might make it a year or two years on steam. So I'm in this, uh, I'm in this round table meeting, uh, with an eclectic group. This is about two years ago. I'm in a round table meeting that includes myself as the representative of E3 fitness, uh, an attorney who represents the, firm that owns our building that we lease from she's not then my attorney she's the attorney for the owner of my space who i lease from so she's there and she's a former fbi interrogator so she's pretty <laughs> impressive and so she's there kind of got my back but not in her role there is the three members of the archdiocese of denver they own the residential units above e3 there are two representatives, two police officers from Denver's nuisance department for the DPD. Because I, I remember this. <laughs> though our lease allows us to operate up to 93 decibels, which is really freaking loud, okay? <laughs> though we're allowed to do that, uh, a person five stories above E3 was claiming they could hear our music. So not anyone in the four stories between us and said psycho, but this guy is... Uh, it's, it's waking me up and I work nights and so I like to sleep during the day and it's waking me up and um, it's a nuisance. And he made enough complaints that it gets to the Denver Nuisance Department. Now the Denver Nuisance Department deals primarily with um, drug houses, whorehouses, and nightclubs. Those are really the people they deal with. And they have the power to shut your business down, right? So we're in this roundtable meeting after having several emails and phone calls go back and forth about what are we gonna do about this problem? And Really, everybody around this table, myself excluded, was talking about different things to do to shut down or close down or to silence a bit of what E3 does. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, like, I'm staying, I'm within my limits. This is crazy. We've gone and done sound engineering recording, like, in the guy's space. Like, this is phantom nonsense. Mm -hmm. and, and everyone around here, it, it was almost like they all were holding a different weapon of choice and deciding who gets to kill my child mm -hmm. with that weapon. That's how it felt. And finally, I had had enough, and I blew up. And I said just that. I go, you mother, and I used a word there, are not going to sit here with a weapon of and say how you're going to kill my business. Like, I'm doing what I'm allowed to do. This is crazy. This makes no, you guys are not using the rules of logic here, and I'm going to freaking snap. And they said, you know, Justin, Mr. Holly, you know that we, uh, we have the right to chain your doors we could chain your doors shut and close your business down immediately. And I said, in order for you to do that, you would have to work around my flaming body because I'll pour gasoline on myself like a <laughs> demonstrator and light myself on fire before you lock down my doors. That's the passion, Harley, that I know I need to make my lifestyle business, not a bottom line business, not a numbers business, 
but the, I love this thing and I love everything it stands for and everyone that it impacts and everything it allows me to do through this banner that I fly, you are not going to take it from me and I will, I'll burn myself at the stake to prove it. <laughs> I think that's the type of person it takes to make this thing work long term. So it's definitely not, there's definitely, a, that's not everybody. No, no and, <laughs> well, and you know, I, I think, I think organically I've found myself just reading more about business ownership and business management, not necessarily because I'm, I'm looking to change how I do things, but just more perspective, right? You can't live in a vacuum. And uh, a real common thread right now is there, some people are, and I'll use the, the entrepreneur word. So, you know, some people are entrepreneurs and some people are workers and that's, it's okay. Yeah. You have to have them, you know, it doesn't make them care less, but there, there's just some people who aren't going to light themselves on fire to keep the, the nuisance public nuisance people from chaining the doors on their gym. Consequently, the doors were not chained Yeah, and, uh, everything went on, went along swimmingly, but I was asked to no longer attend any meetings involving these groups of people. That's uh, that's fair. Um, so I, I think this is a, a pretty good logical point to then transition to end game. What's the end game? What it? I'm I'm so new at this. I can't I can't imagine. Like right now, the end game is make it to to April, which is one year of business. Right. Um, you're quite a few years ahead of me. Is there? Like, are you going to do the? You know, is your retirement plan the work till you drop retirement plan? Do you always want to be in, does your passion burn deep enough for being a gym owner that you can foresee yourself just in some capacity being at your, your gym every day, screaming at somebody to do five more burpees? Right. Yeah. So it's funny you asked that question because I had 2018 was a year of, I'm not going to say up and down with my relationship as the owner of E3, but it was challenged a few times because I've had some opportunities to pursue a secondary. Like if I didn't do this, right? Like what does my doppelganger do? Like mm -hmm. my doppelganger writes and speaks, does experiences, writes about them, and then uses those experiences in speaking engagements to get people jacked up about living a full life. It's really what I think I do best about coaching as well. I almost had the opportunity to, to start to pursue that full time, which would have pulled me away from, the gym business. Mm -hmm. And so I just looked at it and in looking through that, you know, I started to fantasize a little bit about what that next thing would be like. And I ended up circling back and coming back to the gym. And so now it's even more so like, well, what is, what is next? I'm not, it's not going to franchise necessarily. I'm not going to necessarily license. I'm not going to go again. I don't want to be the businessy guy. Like you mm -hmm. do. If I open up six of these, all I'm doing is business of six gyms. I'm not doing the like love for the one thing that I do. Mm -hmm. So the decisions that I'm making daily towards the future are not strategic for an end game that's defined. They're just all passed through the filter of who I am to my core and what fuels and passions my daily existence. And through that, I just have the utmost confidence and faith that life will work. And that sounds super unplanned and probably ignorant <laughs> to most people listening to and it. And if you work for Justin, turn the podcast <laughs> off right now. If you don't want to be terrified. 
No, uh, it's uh, <laughs> no. I will not be five years from now. I'm not going to be teaching people how to do burpees. Right. For sure. No, I'm not. I, I will have empowered a staff member or multiple staff members to move up through their growth in the company to be able to do everything that I do probably better. And so I'll just be the creepy old guy that shows up every now and again. Uh, am I going to create a legacy that stands into Denver for 50, 60, 90 years? No, that's not going to happen. Um, it will go to somebody else at some point mm-hmm. and I'll move on to something else. Uh, but right now, even 10 years in, I can't tell you when that's going to happen or what numbers I need to hit for that to happen. I'm just putting it through the filter of what I love to do still. So I didn't answer your question at all. <laughs> you didn't at all. But, but you did. And, and, and essentially, there is no end game. Yeah, I mean... You just play it out. How do you stop doing what makes you full? Well, and I think, you know, I, I genuinely get sad at the thought of not... All those old guys I talked crap about a little <laughs> bit ago. Yeah. You want to be one? I'm fast-tracking to being <laughs> that guy. So I want to be the guy at the back of the, you know, at the shop. Like it, it genuinely breaks my heart to think about not knowing all the stuff and, and, and being somebody who can help somebody else make an informed purchase or decision about what to ride, where to ride, um, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I, 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 I tend to find that I, I mentally, I am on the work till you drop program, even if the shop was wildly successful for the next 30 years and everybody was making all the money and everybody was comfortable. Everybody was taken care of. Even if I didn't need to be there, like it, it, it breaks my heart a little bit to think about not being there, not talking about bikes, not helping, uh, you know, new mechanics, um, you know, troubleshoot things that they, they, they're just like, they can't wrap their head around like those, like not, you know, being there to, to do that stuff actually like really makes me sad. So bookends here, bookends on our whole chat today. That's exactly why we're lifestyle business people and not bottom line business people. Yeah. Because neither of us can answer that question. Right? Like, and you're terrified to think of answering the question. Yeah. And I, I am just almost blissfully stupid. <laughs> And answering the, and that's what make that's what makes our companies what they are. That's what makes our lives what they are. It's also why we're not going to get funding with that answer. <laughs> like if you're like, hey, I really need to secure a ten million dollar loan for an expansion plan. Well, what are you looking at doing in five years? Just everything that makes me like happy and feel alive, man. Like I just love what I do. I I wouldn't trade it for anything though. Um, you know, it, it's it is a little bit more fulfilling to do it for a company that 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 I own part of. Um, and I've said a lot of I, I do need to, to give a, a massive shout out to Sam, who is uh, my business partner. And he's a really good yin to my yang. I mean, we're between the two of us, we make one really good business owner. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I'll tell you, there's a value there because as we've talked about, and we've brought it up here as well. I've just recently without, my other my other half or partner so it's all on me now and even though the workload hasn't necessarily changed for me i was doing a lot of what i'm doing now anyway uh it's increased a little bit but it's not been a big shift in workload there is a big shift in the responsibility that i feel like i just 
even I don't even know if I've even spoken it or even written it in like a planner or an organizer. I just I just there's I feel more and it's heavier. So that idea the partner helps, you know. Partner does. Even if like it it's it's such a mental thing. Well, you are you're my uh you're my wordsmith. So um why don't you put a summary on this whole thing for us? Yeah, no, fair enough. I can do that. I also because I'm motivated. I have I was gonna show you this. <laughs> I have this bag here right now. You guys can't that, see this. So okay. so Justin was at OR for the last two days, outdoor retailers. <laughs> and a lot of us go to these trade shows just to get free shit. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let me just <laughs> so like, I have let, like, me, let me paint the picture. He's been his bag's been sitting there like Santa's sack. I can't see in it, but I know there's a ton of stuff in it. He's got a bunch of energy bars, some gum. He asked me this very like baited question about Yeti cups earlier, and now he's holding his bag in his lap like a kid on Christmas morning. So the the mic <laughs> the microphone. So D has us so hooked up here in the studio. These microphones are so damn good that I can't. I haven't been able to open this bar without it sounding like I'm unwrapping a cellophane package. So it's just I'm, I'm just like so. Here's here's what I have in my lap: the ultimate yuppie bag of treats. That's what I got right here in this bag. So I said, "Hey Harley, how many Yeti cups do you own?" He's like, "I got one." I'm like, how many no. do you think a person needs? He's like, "I think just like one." And I was like, "So I currently have, all right, so I had one with cold brew in it, one I filled with water. I got another one here that I just pulled out that I finagled, and then I got a fourth one here." But this isn't what's been occupying my mind. I've been trying to get to all of these snacks. I have like the best snack assortment, four, four points. You're going to hear more about these guys later. I got like seven energy bars from them. I got three Bobo's bars. I got a brand new beef bar cayenne flavor. That's going to get me turned up. Is that like from uh, Epic? No, these are. this is from uh, it's all the Country four. Archer. Um, I've got, what else I got? I got some, I got some packets of peanut butter. I got some gum because my mouth's going to taste like butt after all this is eaten. I just... Hashtag king of snacks. I've been trying to dig into these since we started talking. So I will easily give you a summation. Um, just so you can eat. Just so I can eat all these cool snacks. There's, there's a, a weight that comes with owning a business. Um, it's oftentimes reminded to me when I get emails from either a bank that needs a document or from my bookkeepers that need to know something, or from the CPA that needs justification on something, or from the state when I get a state-related bill, or the city of Denver and I'm paying state sales tax, or I'm paying uh, workers' comp, or my insurance company. I just got a new bank card, new bank accounts for the business, and so I'm having to re-fire up all these auto pays. And so when all of that stuff comes at me, I almost feel like a little kid um, kind of being pointed at by a, by a teacher. Right, I get this like inferior feeling of, I, I don't know how to do business, and this stuff is so overwhelming, and it's scary, and, and so owning a company, can be really freaky. But when I step inside of it, and I allow myself to, to live in what my business does, it doesn't feel like work, and it brings me life. And that's a lifestyle business. And it's one that allows you and I to, I think, truly touch and speak to and, in, and enhance the people that are around us and enjoy our companies. Big business or 
profit-only oriented companies have to make decisions not with their heart. Most of their decisions they don't. As a matter of fact, they beat out of them the desire to make a heart-related decision because they need to make the brain-related business decision. And if you're a lifestyle business owner, there's no way to do that every time because to ignore what brings passion and love and a heartbeat to a person's soul can't be blotted out by what makes sense in black and white. And a lifestyle business is the only thing I could ever be a part of. And if it wasn't that for me, I, I don't think there would, I wouldn't work. Well put, my friend. <laughs> this got, <laughs> got super heavy, but uh, no, I, I agree with all of it. And uh, yeah. That being said, there's a cost associated with being involved with companies like that. And in our next episode, we're going to talk a bit about what's the value of a relationship with a company like this, like what we have, because, because we're not bottom line oriented, we're not the cheapest, maybe not the easiest to get. Uh, and there's a cost related to that relationship. And in a day and age when two day shipping is free and the second you see something you like, you can scan the barcode into, into the interwebs and find it cheaper, a hundred different places. Um, the consumer, the consumer has to determine if where they spend their money makes sense or not. And a lifestyle business on black and white won't be the one that makes sense nine times out of 10. Mm -hmm. So what's the value of the relationship with somebody who's crazy and kooky and psycho enough to either set themselves on fire or desire to be a really old person that rides a unicycle in the back of a bike shop? <laughs> okay. There's a cost, there's a cost to have that relationship. Um, and is today's consumer willing to pay that? And do they even understand what that, what that value is? So we'll get into that one on the next one. There it is. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> no ride around, guys. Go for it.